This episode is sponsored by The International Educator. Many of you know part of my professional background is both in career development and education, which means I get a number of educators asking me how they can launch their careers abroad. If that's you, you need The International Educator, which connects English-speaking teachers with opportunities at international schools around the world. Not only do you find out about vacancies, but you get much-needed information on topics as varied as housing options, tax-free salaries, and professional development. And here's the thing. All subjects and grade levels are needed. For a limited time only, Thai is offering discounts on memberships for Global Chatter listeners. So visit ThaiOnline.com and use the promo code GLOBALCHATTER to save on your membership today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. When it comes to having a career abroad, many of my guests seem to have planned for the process early. If you remember the episode with Whitney Marin, you might know she entered college with the plans of studying abroad as the eventual stepping stone to living in France to progress her media career. Or Asile Diab, who grew up as a third culture kid, she was almost already destined to study on the U.S. home campus of her college. But for Dr. Londi Cox, her route was a little bit different. She knew she wanted to be in the helping profession, but it was actually the encouragement of an academic mentor that led her to taking part in Semester at Sea that would ultimately spark the international bug. Years later, as a practicing child and family therapist, she opted to take a sabbatical from her job so that she could learn Spanish in Spain. And she hasn't worked stateside since. With a doctorate degree in international psychology, Londi has studied the field across 18 different countries throughout North and South America, Europe, Africa, and Asia to be able to provide culturally contextual interventions for the population she serves. She has over 10 years of experience providing cultural competent therapy to individuals, couples, families, and groups living and traveling abroad. In this episode, Londi highlights her career pathway of leaving a job she loved to find opportunities that allowed her to work in mental health in international settings. She discusses some of the common challenges she sees among expats and traveler clients. She also talks about what she thinks makes her relatable to those she works with. Welcome to the Global Chatter. Okay, so back with the latest episode of the Global Chatter. If you've listened to the intro, which most of you do to get to this point, you will know that Dr. Londi Cox is my guest today. And I get excited because when it comes to mental health and mental wellness and everything that comes a part of that, I don't think I can ever have enough of these professionals on this show because moving abroad and just dealing with yourself in a different space requires a lot of mental exertion and energy. And so, Londi, I am so happy you are with me today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for having me. And and in true time check fashion, I always have to start <laughs> off with, <laughs> people listen to this, they know this. Where in the world are you currently? So I'm in Okinawa, Japan. Um, so it's about 7.30 p.m. for me. 
So, which y'all know is that that's like 13 hours ahead of me. <laughs> so, yeah, some of us are doing this really early. And in your case, it's not late, late, but it's, it's right. the day. The <laughs> day is kind of done. Although, right. is it really, is it really done when, <laughs> when right. you're working? Right. <laughs> right. No. <laughs> so, okay. This is where I like to start with everyone. Um, where'd you grow up? So I'm from Los Angeles, California. So I spent majority of my life there. And really when I say LA, I say LA to people who don't know California, but like people who do know California, I grew up in the suburbs. So just 30 minutes south of Los Angeles in this small little city um, called Lomita. Um, and I would say probably the closest place to that is Long Beach where people mm. really can kind of like put that on the map. So I grew up there majority of my life. And there were parts, my my younger like I would say single digits, I did grow up in LA proper. So I am the youngest of five. And so in the household, oh, wow. yeah. So in that, my, my three older brothers are older, um, at least 20 to 30 years, my senior. So in the oh, household, wow. it was, it was my sister and I who are 17 months apart. So we're like basically twins. Um, and at least one of the brothers at any given time. But I kind of set that stage for you to say that we did move around a lot, not we're not like military kids or anything like that. We were just broke. We were poor. Um, and so we had to bounce around from house to house. And so I, there was a part of my life where it was L.A. Um, and then my dad wanted to move us out of L.A. because it was just really dangerous. And he wanted a different lifestyle for us. And so we moved to the suburbs. Um, but even there, we, we moved around quite a bit. So this absolutely has nothing to do with anything. But you're from the area. And so... <laughs> I always, this is like one of those random things I saw somewhere. So I was on TikTok mm-hmm. because all good things happen on TikTok. Right. right. And this guy, you were talking about Long Beach and I've, I've never been there and I haven't really, I've been to LA, but I haven't been to the areas really outside of it. Mm-hmm. And this guy made a map. He's from the area, but he literally made a map. But he's like, I made this map in a way that New Yorkers would understand. Now, I'm not a New Yorker either. Uh-huh, Did you uh-huh, see that? Uh-huh. And Something he basically, mm-hmm. right, he basically like took New York mm-hmm. City mm-hmm. and said, okay, if you lived here, this is where it would be. And mm-hmm. so in my mind, I could visualize where Long Beach oh, was nice. on this map uh-huh, uh-huh. based on a map of New York, which oh, makes no funny. sense. That's hilarious. But that's why I'm like chuckling inside. I'm like, okay, that TikTok was helpful. Mm-hmm. Well, so kind of not on the same subject, but I just texted my sister a couple of uh, weeks ago and I said, do you know how long it takes or like in miles or in minutes, like how long it takes to get from our parents' house to the church that we grew up in? And so she's uh-huh. like, no, why? And so I said, well, it's uh, 23 miles, which normally takes roughly about 26 minutes. And she was like, where did that come from? And I said, <laughs> I just remember once dad walked in and said the church is this distance away, but that's my rubric. So even driving in Japan, if I see not so much my gaslight, but I'll watch my like my tank as it goes down, and yeah. I'll say to myself, "Is where I'm going the same distance? Like, can I get to my mom's house to church if I were driving to this place?" Mm-hmm. And that's how I know if I need to stop and get okay. gas or not. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing the way our brains yes. will come up with anything, yes. but just like. Figuring out where yeah. you are in Okinawa. What's 26 miles look like? Nope. Let me take it to somewhere that I know. It's like, I could use an Okinawa yeah. landmark, but why would I do that? Right. And no, that's... that's thinner. Yeah. Right. It's hilarious. I was like, oh, I can make my way around LA now. I really can't. But I was just like, if I imagine it's New York, a completely right. different city, yes. I know where I'm going. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so I, I do ask this question, and, and I don't know if this was the case for your family, but... You know, is your family like, have they been in, like, as far as your immediate family or even your extended family, have they been in California for quite a bit or did they move from a different part of the U.S.? So my mom is from, is originally from Louisiana and I believe she moved maybe seven or eight or so, maybe a little earlier, but she definitely went to school there. Um, A lot of the, she, she doesn't really have like the Southern accent, but a lot of her sentence structures or like just some of the things that you say, you definitely know that her roots are elsewhere. Um, so my, my grandmother and grandfather, before he passed away, they were both there. And then my grandmother came over to California first and she brought all the children over. Um, but we would go to family reunions in Louisiana 
if not every summer, every other summer. And then my my dad, his family for as long, I know that they have roots elsewhere, but for as long as I know, they've been in California. So all of our family reunions were in California. But for the most part, in terms of traveling um, as we were, you know, being younger, it was just going back and forth to Louisiana, sometimes Texas. And a lot of times we were um, caravanning. So it was stopping through these states on the way. Um, but yeah, so that's the extent of where my family is from. But outside of that, I think once my mom got to California, my dad's not really, uh, in terms of domestic travel, my dad's not really into traveling. So once we got to California, once she got to California, it's basically a wrap and she's been there since. And and that's what, and I, and, you know, I think you definitely answered where I was going is that obviously with a lot of, I think a lot of black stories, a lot of black mm-hmm. migration stories, specifically black American stories, mm-hmm. there are these great, like, you know, well, our family's here, mm-hmm. but we have roots in other places. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. that's where mm-hmm. for a lot of people, the early travel is mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. did with that being said, did your family have the opportunity or the ability to travel outside of the U.S. when you were younger? So I do recall once in high school for, I think, my parents' anniversary, they went to St. Lucia. And I thought that was the coolest. We didn't go, but I thought that that was the coolest thing. Um, but my dad was a percussionist. Um, be, it had to have been before us, before the children were born. So he's traveled all over the world. And he would like... Oh, wow randomly just throw these stories in like oh yeah in london they drive on this side of the road oh in paris like they hold hand, like girlfriends hold hands you know between platonic friendships oh you know here and that and so we would just get these random like global snapple facts um you know here and there <laughs> that's hilarious Roll, i'm going to steal that global snapple facts that's a very like that's very niche if you never had snapples a drink for those of you who are not american or don't drink this I used to love Snapple, but yeah, they'd have these weird facts yeah. that just randomly were on the bottle. Okay. Yeah. So my dad had that, that experience. He's been literally just about everywhere. And then my mom, um, not so much. Gotcha. Yeah. And so, so I guess then, you know, this, this always leads to where I wonder, especially with this kind of podcast is that, and, and for some people, this is in college or after college or even beforehand, did you have an anticipation or did you think, okay, A, I'm going to travel abroad. And did you even think maybe at some point I'm going to live abroad? So I'll say yes and no. So I knew in the second grade, so I knew I was going to be a psychologist from the second grade, but oh, the wow. only really? thing that, yes, yes. Wow. Um, mainly because I'm nosy and I really love hearing <laughs> people's stories. And so that was yeah. true in the second grade as well. So I had this best friend who was actually being um, physically abused by her father and she disclosed mm-hmm. that information to me. Um, she was like, you can't tell anybody. Um, and so before I knew what the secret was, I promised her I wouldn't tell, but she showed me all of her bruises and I ended up Aww. going to tell the principal. And that's actually the last time I've seen her and I have been looking for her since. But like in that, I just, I knew that I still wanted to help people. I wanted to hear people's stories. So I did know that I wanted to be a psychologist. Um, previous to that though, I knew I wanted to, I also wanted to be an astronaut. And so I guess like the in the childhood logic of that is I knew I wanted to help people and I knew I wanted to be abroad. Um, but I think my childhood mind only knew like, let's leave earth. Um, and so, (laughs) um, so like, you know, let's just get out of this environment and like, let's explore other things. So I've I've never been fearful of like, just kind of leaving my surroundings. Um, So again, that's rooted in childhood logic, the desire to live abroad really. So I didn't know early on that I would live abroad. So the way that I got introduced to traveling, it wasn't until my collegiate years. I, um, uh, what was it? Freshman year. Um, Mm -hmm. I walked into my sociology class and the way that my sociology teacher introduced herself was, Hey, you might have seen me on real world versus road rules, um, on the episode where they do this, um, study or this semester at sea program. So it's this ship that (laughs) circumnavigates the world. And she's like talking about it. She was like, yeah, I was the Dean of social sciences on this ship. And so I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. So I went up to talk to her after class and like, and I used to watch real world versus road rules, but I didn't know. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I loved it. Can I interject (laughs) also having nothing to do with anything? So I just got Paramount Plus. I swear this is going somewhere. Uh And and I've been watching the real world homecoming. So it's like all the, it's like the old, you know, like they had New York, which everybody might know the very first cast. They, I was on LA watching LA. Mm -hmm. They have New Orleans. 
And then I got down to, you said, <laughs> I started laughing. You said world rule versus real world. And I was like, one, I was watching the challenge when they started, you know, doing uh-huh. the, like, yeah. the obstacle, whatever, yeah. the comp- yeah. competition. Uh-huh. And they brought back the all-stars. So they brought back people. The The very first female winner was a black woman who was uh-huh. on the real world versus road rules. And so uh-huh. you said that. Uh-huh. So. I was telling my friend this the other day, and she goes, oh, yeah, you remember when they had Semester at Sea? <laughs> it's really funny that you oh, said this. Oh, how funny. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and then she's like, I wanted to be on Semester at Sea. And so the fact that it's kind of this, I know, this is like the like random pieces circle. of my life. <laughs> right. I'm like, I did not think that the real world or road rules would pop up in this conversation and, and specifically Semester at Sea. <laughs> right. And so, uh, oh, my gosh. Yeah. No, that's super cool, though. Like, that yeah. aside, that's really cool that she had that experience. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And so I went up to her after that class and just introduced myself. Um, and I don't remember the, the the content of that conversation, but she went on to be my mentor. And so in her mentorship, she kept saying, you need to apply for a semester at sea. And mm. so I had never been out the country at that point. So this was freshman year that we had that conversation. Um, she became my mentor, I think the following term. So I had never been out the country. So what should have been my junior year of school. So my third year ended up being my final year because I just flew through, like, just flew through it. And so when I was talking to her, she was like, well, you have all of these units. You have enough to kind of like take it easy if you want to like apply for semester at sea. And so I ended up applying for semester at sea. Um, I, I went to school in Northern California. So I left LA, went to school in Northern California. And so flew home to LA and then my mom picked me up from the airport. And then we drove down to San Diego where the boat was um, docked. And that's where the the application interview process was. And I actually got accepted on the spot. And so they're like, yeah, see you in fall. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and so like literally had never been out the country before at that point. So I must've been roughly about 17, 18 or so. Yeah. About 17, 18. And so got in and, and came back and told um, my mentor that, and then started preparing. And so even to the point where when I boarded the ship, so we we left out of, where did we leave? I was going to say St. Lucia, but that's not right. Out of um, Nassau, the Bahamas. So we left yeah. out of the Bahamas. And I remember being in there with my cabin mate. And I was looking at the map and I was like, so what country are we going to? And she was like, the world. Like we're going around the world. And I'm like, oh, like, like literally. <laughs> had you didn't no- know. <laughs> Because you just got on a boat now. (laughs) But here we are. (laughs) Exactly. And so I was like, okay, well, that's pretty cool. And so like, I didn't, I didn't get like better with geography and just kind of knowing that until that. So we were, you know, as we kind of went around the world and stopped in different countries, then I would like, you know, mark it on my map. And then after that, that's when like the travel bug really bit me because so even then, even once I left a uh, semester at sea, so we did go to about 16, 17 different countries in that trip in the span of four months. And so then I came back before I left. I had a promise of a job at Target. I did some internship and so came back and was an ex- executive at Target and was planning on, even though I knew I wanted to be a psychologist at seven, I was like, I'll just, you know, climb up this corporate ladder. The money was amazing. So I'm like, okay, like, I'll just do this here. Um, But ultimately, like after a couple of years, that retail life is just not the life that I signed up for. No, actually, that was just a year because I took a year off between undergrad and um, grad school. So that's kind of what launched me um, to get my master's degree. So I went back. So that same mentor asked me what my end goal was. I said, I really want to do therapy. And so um, that's when she like gave me a different different options for those degrees. So I went back, got my master's in social work, mainly because mm-hmm. I wanted to go the full like psychology side route, but I also wanted to make money while I was um, <laughs> like what before I can. Um, so I knew that I knew I was going, well, I didn't even, I knew what the psychology degree, I needed a doctorate. And so I can't, you can't start seeing patients until you have that doctorate degree. And so she said, if you get your master's, then you can do, um, you could just get licensed. You can start seeing patients. If you decided to continue on towards the doctorate, you can, but in the meantime, you can still be a practicing clinician. And so that was one of the reasons why I chose that route in conjunction with, um, with, with. Um, it being more of a global degree, I could do like individual therapy, family therapy, I could do macro work, micro, you know, everything mm-hmm. in between. Um, so that's kind of what led me there. 
So I did semester SC, worked at Target for a year, and then went um, back to school to get my master's degree. And so here's what I'm so fascinated with your story, because obviously you you eventually got your PhD, right? Mm-hmm. Is that I love that the more I read your story, that there there was an intentionality to what eventually took you abroad. Because mm-hmm. one of the things that when I'm talking to people or one of the questions about that folks always have is, OK, they want to go abroad. They have a career, right? Mm-hmm. And and they're like, how do I take that career abroad? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do I make money or whatever? Mm-hmm. And so, and I would love to hear this kind of in your own words, because mm-hmm. I know that you worked in your space in the States mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for like six, seven years yeah. mm-hmm. before you were able right. to like start this international right. thing. Yes, yes. And so can you kind of walk through, you know, you were working in child and family therapy. Can you kind mm-hmm. of walk through at the point where you're like, okay, I think I want to go abroad and how mm-hmm. you were able to do that. Mm-hmm. Because I think especially with what you do, yeah. you know, it's, I think it's a little bit different yeah. if you're in like IT, right? Yes. But because mm-hmm. you have a very specialized particular, mm-hmm. at least in the U.S. regulated mm-hmm. training, mm-hmm. 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 what did that look like for you, especially when you made the decision to go abroad and where did yeah. you go? Yeah. So I have wanted to live in England. So in my master's program, I studied abroad again went to mm-hmm. a couple of places in Europe. And then there was a, a opportunity on the table for me to basically work with my master's in like social welfare, welfare in England. Um, the relationship that I was in at the time, I decided not to go abroad because it just would have gotten too complicated. So passed up on that opportunity. Um, I was living in Oregon at the time. Absolutely loved the job that I um, was um, working at in Oregon, but there were two clinicians there who spoke Spanish and they were making more money than me. And I was like, excuse Mm. me? And so so I had this bright idea, move to Spain and learn Spanish. And so it literally was just, yeah, like what other options are there? I actually was in, um, I was in a Spanish class, but I was like, I'm not going to get this as fast as I would if I as if I would to just immerse myself. So I was working at a clinician, had just a clinician had just gotten licensed and then decided, um, and I went to my boss and I said, listen, keep my job open. I'm going to, I'm going to go to Spain for a year. I'm going to pick up Spanish and I'm going to come back. And my, my uh, supervisor was bilingual as well. And she was like, yeah, that's actually how I learned Spanish. So yeah, we'll, we'll agree to do that. And so I literally um, packed up, no, sold everything that I had Um, so it was like, the timing was so perfect because like my lease was just about to be up. There was just like different things that freed me from, um, Mm -hmm. you know, from being in America. So my lease was about to be up. Um, and so I just sold everything. Um, I sold my car, I sold my couches. I sold like literally everything, um, that wouldn't fit in. I think I took about two or three suitcases Mm -hmm. and then I started looking up actually. So with the visa process, I'm like, okay, so how can I sensibly get to Spain? So I knew that I wanted to be a student. I knew I wanted to pick up Spanish, but I'm like, where is this money going to come from? I knew that I had a savings. Um, and so with all of these kind of like moving parts, I found a program, an au pair program where I was able to live and work with the family, teaching the children or talking to the children in English. They provided housing and like a, I think a weekly stipend. And then I enrolled in a um, language class. So all day while the children were at school, I was at school learning Spanish and then teaching, talking to them in English at their level helped me to learn Spanish because I was understanding like, okay, if I have to speak at this basic level in this sentence, in English, this is what it means in Spanish, and they would speak back to me. So it was really the uh, all around um, uh, good for me in terms of learning and, and everything like that. And then in terms of money, I'm like, as long as I have shelter and food, like everything else is mm-hmm. extra. Like I'm only here to learn Spanish. Um, I found out how easy it was to travel around um, Europe in general, and so the the travel became extra. Um, but so that's what caused me to leave. Um, America was that, okay, I know that I have a job to come back to. I know that I have the finances to be able to fund myself. I have a clear purpose of why I'm going abroad. Um, And then one of my cousins gave me the best idea. I mean, the best um, advice ever. And she was like, if you don't like it, home will always be home. Like just get Mm -hmm. back on the plane and and come back. And I'm like, yeah, 
Um, and so I think with that advice, I'm like, I could literally go as far as I want to go because I know that home essentially will, you know, will always be there. Um, so I left, I started school, like, I think the second day, um, that I was in Spain and about six months in, I decided that I wasn't moving back to America. So I called, <laughs> I called, I called my boss and I was like, you don't have to keep it open no more. Like I'm picking up Spanish, but I'm also not going to be back. And so, um, yeah, yeah. It's been real, yeah. but thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I mean, here's the reality. You, you were invested in learning a language. Mm-hmm. You were building an experience, right. In terms of being an au pair, You'd sold your stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's it you were kinda on this wheel. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And so what year was this? Twenty fourteen. I think at the top of twenty fourteen. Either twenty fourteen or fifteen. I always get those confused, but one of those. And that and that's when you Yeah. You made the decision. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that you were gonna mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> the, the the question always becomes, okay, you are not going to be an au pair for forever. Mm-hmm. So how long did you stay in Spain and what were you able to do while mm-hmm. you were, you know? Yeah. So I was in, um, so I stayed with that family. So it, I just had the best, I had the best experience because I became friends with other au pairs. So I was older than, you know, other au pairs, like pre- typically people do that maybe fresh out of college. I think I was like 27 or so when I decided to do that. So because I was 27 and because they knew that I was a therapist, they're like, how about you teach our kids life skills? And I'm like, great. So it was less of, it was less of like, hey, teach them English. And the children were a little bit older. They were just about transitioning out of needing an au pair anyway. Um, Like the girl was like walking around in my heels. It was like the cutest thing. Um, And so um, I would take them to the grocery store and I would say like, okay, like, let's talk about, you know, like, how would you spend this money or, you know, and I would give them like more so like life scenarios as opposed to mm-hmm. like phonetics and, you know, different things like that. So the parents appreciated that, but then they realized like our children are actually a little older. They don't really need this anymore. So I stayed with one family for about six months and then um, I transitioned because I had like a year kind of term set up. So then I transitioned with another family for another six months. And that family, um, they owned two houses. So I literally just stayed in their other house down the street. So have my own life and would just go over and help out with the kids and with dinner and different things like that. Um, and again, with them, because I was older, was teaching life skills as opposed to like, you know, actual old pair stuff. But then a friend of mine was like, um, you spent all that money on school and you're just you're just going to be out here in Spain teaching English and that's it. Because in my mind, I was like this lifestyle of being abroad is just so much to me, so much better than being in America. And to translate your degree to Spain, like in Spain, where I was, would have been so difficult. It would have taken like a lot of time. So I'm like, I'm cool with just teaching English. Um, and just like the lifestyle to me justified the, you know, justified the lifestyle, um, or justified the switching lifestyle. But then I'm like, well, I did spend a lot of money on my degrees and a lot of time. And I would like to go back to that salary because that was also really nice. Um, right. <laughs> so then I started just like Googling positions of LCSWs abroad, therapists abroad, and just like tried to figure it out. So um, I ended up stumbling on, I didn't know anything about contract work, but ended up stumbling on this. Um, I guess I sent this email out and they responded to me like six months later. And they were like, hey, actually, we have a position. Um, and so they had three open. They had one in Tokyo, one in England, and one in Germany. So I chose Tokyo. And uh, just before that was able to happen, um, they were like, oh, the person in that role actually uh, renewed their role. So now we only have England and Germany. And so I was like, well, I just learned English. I mean, I'm sorry, I just learned Spanish. I don't really feel like learning another language right now. Um, I didn't want to add German into the mix. So I was like, just send me to England. Um, and so that's how I ended up going back into therapy. But it was literally an extensive uh, Google search. But what I thought was really interesting about my own story is that initially when I wanted to move abroad, um, I wanted to go to London. Um, and that, and I, did, I passed on that position, ended up in Spain, but ultimately ended up in England. But when I wanted to go to England, 
I wanted to be in Japan, that position passed up on me and then ultimately ended up in Japan. So everything was like, no, we're going to get you there. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. All right, so we're back after the break, and if you heard Lonnie's story, you will know that at this point she <laughs> she's in England, <laughs> took the long way route to get there, but she got there. Um, and one of the things that I, you know, as we were talking off air, I I am very interested in understanding is you've gotten your master's at this point, you're working, you know, you got it, you're working in England. Mm-hmm. How were mm-hmm. you able to do your doctorate? Because you, I'm presuming you did not come back to the U.S., correct? I did not okay. come back. No. This part I want people no. to hear sometimes yeah. because I'm like, mm-hmm. you did your education abroad. Mm-hmm. Where did you do? Mm-hmm. Where Where did you ultimately get your doctorate uh, completed through? So, so ultimately, I got it um, done through the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. Okay. Um, even though I knew that I was going to be a psychologist, I don't know that I thought I had the forward thinking of knowing that I was going to get my doctorate degree because once I became a clinician, that's really what I wanted was just to be the clinician. Um, but what ended up happening was, and I'll tell you how I ended up like going to school in America, but what ended up happening was the position that I got in England a lot of people, I was the youngest person working there as a clinician. Everybody was older than me. A lot of people take the role that I had at retirement age. So I said, here I am at the start of my career doing things that people are doing at the end of the, their career, making that same salary. Why would I limit myself here and not, you know, not get it? So um, a couple of people there like talked to me about getting a degree. So then I actually um, decided to go to Cambridge because I was right up the road from Cambridge where I was working. So I said, okay, I'll get a doctorate degree um, at Cambridge was one of like five finalists, but ultimately didn't end up getting into the school. And so I was already invested at this point in getting a doctorate degree. So I'm like, well, now I have to figure it out. Um, But the only thing, because I was able to be a clinician, I didn't really want a degree in just anything. Um, And then I came across this program that the Chicago School of Professional Psychology has um, in international psychology. So the doctorate is in international psychology. So it studies American psychology in juxtaposition to how psychology is studied in cultures all around the world. And just me being who I was and, you know, already an expat for, I think five, six years at that point, I knew that that was a degree for me. So I ended up applying for that getting in. And so they had um, a, um, Actually, at that point, for whatever reason, I can't remember now, I was thinking about transitioning back to America to do the degree. And for whatever reason, I decided last minute that I wasn't going to do it, wanted to continue to live abroad. So they switched me to the online program and I was able to do the full three years. I think the degree was the full three years abroad. Wow. So you basically so you stayed abroad. You were able to still work your job. Correct. And yes. you did your the hardest thing I've ever done. Right. Yes. <laughs> and you yes. did your degree. Like I'm saying it slow, not because I didn't hear you, but I want other people <laughs> to hear like that's yes. the path you took and we're yes. and we're mm-hmm. able to do your degree. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. at that how long did you end up living in England? 
I was there for five or six years, okay. I believe. I think I left just under the six-year mark. Okay. Did you leave mm-hmm. like relatively soon after completing your degree or did you still stay for a little bit? I completed my degree in October. Um, I flew home to defend and I came back and gave my notice. <laughs> <laughs> so two weeks later, nice. I left and went to Tanzania, live, live my best life. Oh, you just <laughs> came to Japan. Yeah. yeah I was Did like, you go on vacation I'm or you done. just went to like, or you just went to go live um, in Tanzania? Yeah, that was vacation. No, 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 that was vacation. Um, so I got majority of the degree, um, during COVID. Okay. Um, and so I will say that that downtime, so I was, um, still doing, I still had a full caseload, but that definitely helped. So the first year it was business as usual, like going to work yeah. for whatever time and then um, coming home and doing work. Because my degree was in international psychology, I had to do two international trips and my research had to be in international. You would think that because I'm already living internationally, I would choose England. Right. But no, <laughs> I wanted to like learn about something else. But I say that to say there were times where um, my second international trip was supposed to be in Phil- in the Philippines. Um, this is in the height of COVID, so we couldn't travel there like we were supposed to. Right. So I'm in class in the Philippines on Philippine schedule. Didn't think to take off work. So I am in class all through the night and then just going straight to work and then coming home and sleeping right after work. Um, so I, I say that to say, so yes, I did it abroad, but there were times where I had to match my time zone to the respective country mm-hmm. that I was studying in or like doing that. So it literally was the the most difficult <laughs> thing that I've ever done working and going to school at that level. And my degree itself was a um, accelerated program. So it was a five year program right. done in three years that I did in conjunction. Because you couldn't make it any more <laughs> difficult. You're doing an yeah. American doctorate <laughs> while living abroad in the middle of a pandemic and working full time yeah. and doing like having to do two research assignments in different yes. countries because that yes. of course is what everybody does but right. but but in spanish it, in, Sp- in spanish but, but, yeah. but what i was gonna say is this i think that when i you know i know the stories i hear the stories of people come on and it seems like it's just so easy for you to get to where you've gotten to, especially when people sort of see you. Mm-hmm. There's just an assumption mm-hmm. of, oh, these things fall apart and I have to or fell into place. And I have to say, no, it's so easy mm-hmm. for them to actually fall apart. What it is is the yes. intentionality of the people yes. and, and it takes yes. work to kind of mm-hmm. build the life mm-hmm. you want. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. with that being said, obviously you took an opportunity that has taken you to Japan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> finally yeah. and, uh-huh. and and you know you you also you've got your your private practice in in, in what you're doing mm-hmm. as a as a psychologist mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. of the things that i'm i'm very intrigued in hearing from you is that at what point did you decide okay you know as far as clients that i'm going to work with at least in what in your business that you wanted to work with expats and and what was sort of the catalyst for that I think it was in Madrid, honestly. So in Madrid, I that was the first time, that was my first living abroad experience. But there was um, a group that I am still a part of called Melanin Madrid. And so we would all get together for just different things. And people would talk about the Black experience abroad or, you know, um, microaggressions or um, them gaslighting themselves. Like, am I, am I tripping or like, are they looking at me funny? And are they looking at me funny because I'm black or because I'm a woman or because I'm American? And so it's all of these like different nuances to where it's just like, do I trust my gut or like, because I'm in a different culture, do I, you know, do I try to figure out these cultural norms? So I think it was in, um, because I was already thinking with a clinical brain, like I had already been clinically trained once I moved, Mm -hmm. I was seeing these things through a different lens. And then once I moved to England, it was, you know, other things were, you know, coming up with the population that I was working with. It was couples coming to me like, Hey, I followed my partner abroad, but I gave up a really good job back there. And so now we're having concerns or now we're raising this child and I really want them to know their American heritage and they really want them to be like rooted in this. And so we're having issues because of that. And so I would say it would be all of my kind of like living abroad um, experiences to where I was finally like, oh, I can help them. Like, you know, because one, I've lived it. And then two, I have the clinical kind of expertise there. And then when you throw in my, um, 
my doctorate degree that literally focuses on cultural psychology and not so much saying American psychology is the best way to handle this, but it's also understanding the nuances to how African cultures would handle needing mental health or how, you know, like Asian cultures. And so it's being able to put all of those pieces in together. Wow. I, so I, I guess I'm intrigued. Were you finding at least earlier on or even now, were you getting clients who were predominantly American or in American partnerships? Or are you, were you starting to see folks who were coming from other places, but the commonality was that they were living in a country that they are not from or that mm-hmm. they moved to? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would say predominantly Americans living abroad. And I, and I think that's just because of the, the connection that they had. Like a lot of times people will come to me um, and say, I really wanted another American or another black woman or another black person or a woman or, you know, mm-hmm. um, an English speaker. I get that a lot. I really <laughs> right. wanted, you know, I Did really wanted English? an English speaker. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so I think because of the specifics that they're looking um, for, I think it led a lot of Americans to me. I think only very recently am I getting um, other culture, like two different cultures that are, when I talk about couples, like two different yeah. cultures that have come together. But I would say majority of my practice are Americans living abroad. And really, if if I'm being honest, Black people living abroad. And I could, I mean, I could see that. I think that, and, and I, I mean, let's be fair. I think if you were in the States, right, let's remove the expat stuff, mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. would still be an attraction to the fact that you are a woman of color and, and, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and, and you know, I always say finding a therapist or a counselor psychologist is an intimate thing, right? Because mm-hmm, you, I mm-hmm. mean, I'm telling this to, to you, but mm-hmm, other people who haven't mm-hmm. had therapy is uh-huh. you are in a vulnerable state with somebody you are not mm-hmm. partnered to yeah. and is not in your family. Yes. Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> and not, Just sharing all. You know, yeah. right, exactly. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. I, you know, I can imagine. And then coming from, depending on your background, subculture, how they deal with mm-hmm. therapy yeah. and their ideas yeah. around it. Right. You can be mm-hmm. real suspicious and, and it's not fair because there are great counselors that, right. and therapists that do not listen right. look like you or a person. Right. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you can get a little bit suspicious of me like, but I trust her though because mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. she gonna mm-hmm. understand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. So I imagine you probably yeah. find that where, especially being American that mm-hmm. there are probably folks who are like, okay, there's just stuff I know I don't have to explain to you. Yes, or feel like I have yes, to explain. Yes. Yes. I remember one of, I did a, cons- a consultation call um, with this uh, girl, this woman of color. And so she was explaining something to me. She was like, oh, I really want to go out, but I also have to take down my hair. And just being able to say that I'm like, yeah, taking down your hair takes like six hours. So it's just <laughs> right. like, um, And so what we talked about later on, she was able to say, it's like just being able to say those things and not have to explain like, oh, well, you know, a wash day takes this longer, doing this takes this or whatever. Like just being able to say that sentence and move on or you just get exactly the time frame. And so, yeah, I think a lot of people look for that comfort, Mm -hmm. especially like what you're talking about. If I'm going to be in this vulnerable space with you, like I don't want to have to explain everything. I don't want to have to explain the backstory. And I think that for expats specifically, I do get a lot of the population from Madrid as well. Mm. Um, I think what draws people to me is, again, the English speaking, but it's not they also don't have to say, well, this is how it is in Madrid. And like sometimes you're walking down the streets and the guys call you Moreno and, you know, like that kind of stuff. It's just like you lived here a year and a half, you know, you know what the situation is. And you've also, you know, are American. So you also, you just understand those nuances and I can just get on with my story because I'm, you know, I only have an hour anyway, you know? Right. And I, you know, as you were talking, you just sort of triggered something for me that I I hadn't really thought about is that you're already, if you're in a new culture you're already finding yourself explaining certain things because you're not part of that community. Just as a natural, like, and -hmm. especially if that language is not a language you learned and it's a language you're still working Mm -hmm. through, right? So, like, even Mm -hmm. going to the store and explaining, I want an apple, right? Like, you find yourself Mm -hmm. explaining. Mm -hmm. I can Mm -hmm. imagine when we put it into a therapeutic setting, you've already spent all day sort of explaining your viewpoint at work or whatever, or just trying to get a taxi, 
Then to yeah. also explain, yes. okay, before I tell you the story, I got to explain the backstory could be very context, t- could yeah. be tiring. Yeah. So I could yeah. see the appeal. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I, I mean, I, I'm curious, you know, uh, in, in the line of work that you're doing, what do you see are some of the most common issues mm-hmm. that maybe new expats are struggling with or even expats who mm-hmm. have been around for a while? Like, mm-hmm. what are some of the things that, that pop up mm-hmm. that you're like, this mm-hmm. this in particular is unique to living mm-hmm. abroad versus mm-hmm. being at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say transition is like one of the biggest ones. That's a lot of times when people seek me out, either if it's in preparation to move or like I have just moved and I'm just like, mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be one way and it's another way. And I'm just like having second thoughts or I'm not managing this well. Um, so I would say transition would be one and it's shortly like right beneath uh transition is managing i don't want to call it expectation but mm. trying to balance and manage the the friendships that you left back home um and so part of that is like sometimes people have this the, the people back home might have a false reality of what life abroad might be and so going back to kind of the analogy that we were just saying in terms of if i'm calling And I want to tell, you know, a friend or whatever, like, oh, man, I'm having a bad day or, you know, this is really tough. And the advice you give is like, well, at least you're abroad or like at least you get to travel this weekend. Like that's very dismissive. And so a lot of times people um, have a difficult they already have a difficult time setting boundaries with their you know, family and friends and different things like that. And so it's like painting this um, this reality for them. They find a difficult uh, time just kind of balancing their new life with their old life and and um managing the guilt sometimes of leaving their old life behind and and trying to start this new life so i see that um and then um i do the intercultural relationships as well so sometimes people either come over on their own they'll meet their partner and then they just have differences that they want to converse through or um like what we were talking about earlier um, they'll come over with their partner, but it was a sacrifice for one of them. So yes, this was a good opportunity for you, but I left my good opportunity for you. And so sometimes people feel like this has to work sometimes at their detriment because they're feeling like, well, I gave up something great for this to work. And so if this doesn't work, then what does that then say about me? What does that then mean for my life? And, you know, um, so a little bit of everything, but I would say right in that transition and relationships is what I see, what I see a lot of. So you mentioned managing expectations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. <laughs> so here's where my mind goes. My mind thinks we'll pick on Spain because we've been talking about Spain all day. And I've been to Spain. Spain's uh-huh. glorious, right? Mm-hmm. This idea of, okay, I know I'm moving to Madrid, Barcelona, Valencia, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. I have bought the Kool-Aid. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be sunny. Mm-hmm. I'm going to meet a yep. Spanish man. I'm going to do all this stuff. Right? right. And then they get there and they're like, oh, my God, this I, I, you still got to pay bills. Mm-hmm. You still got to mm-hmm. deal with. I'm just making this up. I have no idea. It might be terrible traffic. You still try to figure mm-hmm. out, OK, these men are still getting on my nerves mm-hmm. just in a different mm-hmm. language. <laughs> yes. Right. Is this, is this am I painting this where it's like, I thought yes. I was going to be. I keep thinking on the show, yes. Emily in Paris, because let's say Emily in Madrid. Yeah. <laughs> and mm-hmm. really what yeah. is that? It's not. Is that what you're seeing with yeah, folks? Yeah, it's like yeah, it's like this glamorized, you know, they glamorize as kind of like living abroad. And to some extent it is, but life is still life. And like transitions are difficult and learning a new language is hard and giving things up, you know? And so um there's this thing, I, I think it's a real thing called um I I mean, when I say I think it's a real thing, I don't think it's a term I made up, Um, but toxic positivity. And so it's just like, oh, I have to be positive because I'm living abroad because I got this opportunity that most people don't get. But it's just like, but your emotions are still valid. (laughs) And so just because you had different expectations doesn't mean that you have to live in those expectations if 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 it fell beneath your expectations. Yeah. No. And I, I think also what you said about, you know, moving abroad and you've got these people at home. I think sometimes they seem to think you're on vacation. Mm-hmm. Right. Because mm-hmm. the only, and th- this makes sense. Anytime someone associates, I'm going to a different country, especially when they, so let's say they live in the States. Right. And yeah. your mama comes and visits you in the aforementioned Spain. That's vacation mm-hmm. for her. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. doesn't realize mm-hmm. you living. I know, it, right. like logically, you're there 365, so it's not vacation yes. for you. Mm-hmm. It'd be the same mm-hmm. as if you were living in Cleveland. 
Mm-hmm. Is that exactly. is that where exactly? Yeah, yeah. And then I think the other piece that's like, I guess to that same extent is like really having to figure out everything again. Like so, yeah. in America, we have this kind of idea of if I'm sick, I can go to CVS or to Walgreens and get like cough drops or get, you know, get uh-huh. what it is that I need. But when you go to a new country, like, so for example, when I lived in Spain, cough drops were kept in the candy aisle. Or if hmm. you need it like Tylenol, you actually had to go to a pharmacy. You can't find that in the grocery store. And then when I lived in England, like, I'm like, where's there a Kinko's? And they're like, oh, you have to go to the grocery store in the photo department to make like just regular photocopies. So mm-hmm. it's, these things are like super small, but imagine you're on your way to an interview and you're like, Oh shoot, I need a Kinko's really fast. Right. I need this. I need cough drops. And it's just like having to navigate like this whole shift of the smallest things. And so when you don't, um, when you don't plan for that and then when people don't understand it and then when people dismiss it, like it, it can mess with your mental health. It can throw you, you know, all the way off. So, with that being said, how does, because I'm very invested in helping people do this. Mm-hmm. You're abroad, you're an expat. Mm-hmm. How how does one mm-hmm. even begin to find the, the therapist or counselor that works for them? And and mm-hmm. how do they, especially like, once again, you're we're looking cross-culturally or whatever. Like, yeah. how do you even, mm-hmm. if you're thinking, okay, I've been working with someone while I'm in the States, or I'm mm-hmm. in the UK or wherever I'm from, Australia, I would mm-hmm. like to mm-hmm. continue to work with someone who at least understands the expat space. Like, how mm-hmm. do they even go back mm-hmm. evaluating, okay, this is going to be the person or how, how would mm-hmm. I even start to find mm-hmm. the person? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wish there was, cause I know that in the States there is at least for like black therapists, there's yeah. this website where you can go yeah. to and like plug in your state and different things. And I haven't seen that um, overseas. Um, so the way where I promote my business and where people have been finding me are the different expat groups that are um, (laughs) on social media and in Facebook. And that's even if you can promote your business, some of them won't even allow you to do that. Um, But in every single region that I've lived in, I've gotten on Facebook and joined a group like Americans living in England, Mm -hmm. Americans living in Spain, black people abroad, like those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I feel like, I feel like people find it there and then they find it through word of mouth after you join those kind of communities, whether it's in real life or Facebook. But even as a clinician, I, I don't know, like, you know, how other people will go and find, because in some countries, therapy itself is not even as widely publicized. And so it's not like in America where you can call your PCM and then say, Hey, I need, you know, I, I need a referral to this place. So it is a little bit, more challenging overseas i will say that and and you're right i know that with groups and i was gonna say there there are only two groups that i know (laughs) that 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 Mm -hmm. list therapist um one of them Mm because i i know the founder i know that international therapist directory and then Mm -hmm. there's a second group and i can remember because their acronym is lit (laughs) right location independent (laughs) therapist (laughs) So, oh, so nice. there you go. <laughs> um, okay. I know, and I, because um, I know that they also kind of follow us on social media and some other things. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm-hmm. well, kudos on the on the acronym. I don't know if that was intentional, but at least in my right. brain, I'm like, right. it's, it's, it's lit. It works. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> like I say, they're not necessarily all, they're not black or brown focused, either of them. They're just like, we're therapists mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. deal with expats, their culture kids and mm-hmm. whatnot. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things I want to ask you as we as we start to round up, and and I think this is super mm-hmm. important. What would you say are some of the tips and advice that you would have for for? And I'm going to give you two categories: people mm-hmm. who are preparing to move abroad, in terms mm-hmm. of how should they kind of mentally prepare for that, and then the mm-hmm. second category are people who are abroad, and how do you kind of guard your mental health while you're out. So let's mm-hmm. start with the first mm-hmm. one. So what would you say if mm-hmm. someone's thinking about moving abroad? What are some things that you think people should just be mindful and aware of in your experience? So if people are moving abroad, I definitely say do it because home will always be home. So even if you don't like it, you can go back. Um, but um, the other thing is like, again, managing your expectations. So go into it with a positive, like this is going to be great, but be okay 
if it be okay with changing your mind of saying and saying like, this is not what I wanted. Let me pivot. Let me figure something else out. Let me go back home and, you know, re, re, uh, focus, recalibrate. Um, and every time I go through a transition, even though I've been abroad for almost 10 years now, I give myself a year to like fully kind of transition. And I think that if I were to go and think that this is going to be great in a couple of months, my furniture will be here. My house will be set up. If I blow that suspense and that doesn't happen for whatever reason, like that's going to leave a sour taste in my mouth about the transition versus if I say, okay, it's going to take me a good year to feel set up. If that happens in two months, I'm going to be like, oh, wow, this is, you know, this was a great transition. Um, so I would say, um, you know, managing those expectations up front and being giving yourself grace to change your mind in those scenarios um, for those who are thinking about going abroad. Um, the last one I would say with that population is if you can, if you can find one, get a therapist, like just to process that, um, like to go through the transition. Um, if you have everything in your world about to change, it's nice to have some type of consistency and some type of continuity. So sometimes people will book me and say, I don't have anything big going on in my life. But in the event that something big comes up, I want to already have rapport with somebody. I want to know that I can depend on somebody in the midst of everything changing. And so that would be the advice that I would give to people about to walk into transition. And then the people who are already um, abroad and like managing your mental health. Um, so one of the things that I like to that I like to live by is like creating a list of all of the things that you like to do. Um, like so all the things that bring you happiness. And then create a list of all the things that you're doing and then comparing those two lists. And then obviously, if those two things aren't adding up, then adjust accordingly and heavy on the adjust accordingly. Um, because because a lot of the times we'll say like, oh, these are my hobbies. These are my interests, blah, blah. But you look at your day to day and you're not doing right. any of those things. And so it's just like, OK, so if we want to, we have to be very intentional about managing our mental health. And so, yes, we're living abroad. Yes, it can seem you know glamorous, but if we're not doing like if we like yoga and we were doing yoga in America, then let's try to do, you know, yoga while we're overseas as well. But to that same regard, sometimes people will get overseas and they'll say, this place doesn't have the hobbies that I had back home that I like. But if you spend your time abroad perseverating over the things that you can't do, right. then of course you're going to see everything through the negative lens. So I would say to hold on to what you can hold on to, but try to embrace some of the changes that will bring you positivity, I, I would say is helpful. And then, I mean, to the same regard, I'm always going to promote therapy, um, whether it is in the formal sense of, you know, talking to a licensed professional um, or, you know, just having an outlet that you know works. And when I say outlet, that's not talking to your best, you know, your homegirl. And that's good, but it. Therapy is just not like me listening and talking back. Like, obviously, there is a, um, a art to it. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say, like, in terms of in terms of maintaining your mental health, at least having a therapist that you have on retainer, even if you're not seeing them every two weeks that you're checking in with and just saying, like, hey, this is where I am. Just want to do a temperature check. So that's, that would be my advice. Okay, so I think that's great advice, even if you aren't moving. <laughs> <laughs> In general. But once again, I'm pro counselor and I'm pro therapist. So I'm like, you should do that anyway, whether you're moving to once again, because we've been picking on Spain or Cleveland. <laughs> I haven't been to mm -hmm. Cleveland. I don't mm -hmm. know why I'm picking on Cleveland. <laughs> but oh my gosh, Lonnie, this has been amazing information. I have loved hearing your story and just the, the advice you've given, especially about what to do. I think it's so practical and it's things that anyone can get their hands on. And so before we end, I always like to say, all right, where can people find you? So professionally, you can find me on uh, social media um, at Dr. Londi, Dr. Period Londi. Um, and that's both on Instagram and on Facebook. And then personally, you can find me at Londi Elise. So L-O-N-D-I-A-L-E-E-C-E. Um, and that's where you would see more of my kind of uh, personal travel blogs and so on and so forth. And then you can um, check out my website, which is drlondi.com. Um, and my blogs are on there, pictures. Um, and then if you sign up for my mailing list, then you get a mental health travel journal. 
Very cool. And here's the thing. We're going to have all that in the show notes and it'll be up on our website. So the great part is, like I always say, if you miss it, just follow us. We're following her. (laughs) And you can just find find us on social media. You can find her. Um, But thank you for for coming on this show. Like I said, I, I really value your wisdom and your expertise and just for sharing your story. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. This was such a joy. You've just listened to an episode of The Global Chatter, which is hosted by me, Amanda Bates. It is edited by Stephanie Ficcio. Don't forget to subscribe to The Global Chatter on your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Global Chatter or stop by Twitter and find us at Global Chat Pod. If you have a question, want to subscribe to the newsletter or are interested in sponsoring, visit theglobalchatter.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.